good to see each one of you here as well. And you too. Those of you that like cold weather, I assume that last week was, was something you were able to work with. For the rest of us, <laughs> we endured. Well, today, uh, actually, if you remember last week, we, were, we had uh, a pretty lively discussion, quite honestly. It was a, a lot of questions, a lot of things were said. But there was a, a question that came up in the sense of, there was a statement, I don't remember how we got there, but that a lot of people are interested in rather in tr- than trusting Christ, wanting to use Christ. And the question came, what does that look like? Actually, we're going to look at a miracle today that literally defines it probably as well as anything that I can know. And it's one of two miracles that all four Gospels mention. I didn't know if you know that or not, but there are only two miracles in Jesus' life as he walked on earth for three years that are in all four Gospels. One of them, obviously, you could guess would probably be his resurrection. His own resurrection is in every one of those Gospels. It's the most important piece of whatever he came here to, to get accomplished. The other one is one we're going to read today. It's one that's listed in all four of the Gospels. It's the capstone to his Galilean ministry, and it is over the top in the sense of it's a mega miracle. The impact of the people that were gathered on that particular day is, is flat amazing what happened. So let's take your Bibles, and we will read uh, the account from Mark, even though we'll look at John a fair bit and some of the response to it. So let's turn to Mark chapter 6, and we'll begin reading at verse 30. We'll come back, and uh, last week, as you, those of you that were here, um, we, we actually looked at the power of unbelief, um, and that in itself is something that's never really diagnosed particularly that way. But we have a world, a particular nation right now, that is under the scourge of the power of disbelief. And chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, we talked about that. But let's turn forward and let's go all the way to verse 30, same chapter, Mark chapter 6, and begin reading here. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told them all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come you yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things." When the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give you them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? And he saith unto them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to sit, I'm sorry, and he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. They sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men. 
May God add a special blessing to read every word, and let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, it is certainly a privilege to be here, to be gathered as a company and as a corporate gathering to study your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of Jesus Christ, Emmanuel with us, the description fully and completely of God amongst us. What a, what a God he is. What an awesome, not only example, but the power of which he, we've been looking in the last several weeks that he exhibited, the power that was released by compassion. Father, take these moments that we're giving to you as you will bless us. You will lift us up. You will encourage us because you are a God that is capable of doing that. Father, we want you to receive all glory. We want you to receive all honor. We're here to learn. We're here to capture your thoughts. We're here, Father, because you've desired us to be here. We are gathered here because you've told us to come together, particularly in these last days. Father, now these moments, as we've given them to you, we'd also ask that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher, that we would not get in the way, but we would be receiving of all that you'd have for us on this day. Thank you for what you'll accomplish. We lift these things up to the, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> Well, as you've uh, obviously, as uh, reading this passage of Scripture, the, what is known as the feeding of the 5,000. Um, the other, I'll, I'll just point this out, so we just as well make it as big as it really is to begin with. Um, the word that's used there, well, in fact, the last, uh, I think it was the last verse we read in verse 44. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. That word men is male, just that. So, in fact, to, to add to that, go back to the Matthew course. Um, you might write these down in your notes, if you'd care to. There are f- the four passages we read in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. We just read that. Uh, the Matthew account is in Matthew chapter 14, uh, verses 14 through 21. The one in Luke is in chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. And John, it's in chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 14. All of those, uh, apo- I'm sorry, all of those uh, Gospels speak of this same miracle, the feeding of the 5,000, uh, in, in the respective Gospel. But in Matthew, you will find in chapter 14, as we just alluded to, uh, turn to verse 21, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 21. Matthew fourteen twenty-one, and it sums it up this way, And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men, beside women and children. So we're really not sure of the total number of people that were fed. But the 5,000 is very clear in all of the Gospels that it is intended to be just the men. And obviously it tells us in Matthew's account that there are women and children there as well. So again, not trying to be precise in the sense of a culmination of who was there, but it's probably, quite honestly, between twenty and 25,000 people. Uh, how many of you have been in a group of twenty to twenty-five thousand people? Anyone? Yeah, yeah. It, it it's it's a rather large group. Particularly if you would understand again, uh, if uh, just rehearsing a bit, going backwards, um, as these crowds were following Jesus, it's the pressing and the 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 throngs that were just literally would drive him into the water. He had to get into a boat to be relieved of the pressure that would come to him as he would teach. Now, there again, he was his first and foremost uh, mission was not necessarily to heal or to exhibit miracle, miraculous power. It was to teach and to show the people the kingdom of God. 
That's literally what it was about. But he used miracles to express that, to put a stamp of approval, to bring the sense of power. Now, if we've said numerous times, I'm hoping that you have this, uh, gra- that you've grasped this all, I don't know, we'll be on this five or six weeks now. God, and I'm saying God in the sense of Jesus Christ, if someone asked him to demonstrate a sign, if someone asked him to produce, you show us, you show us you, that you're God. He never, ever would do that, ever, ever. But when he was filled with compassion, when he saw the needs of the people, power was released. So in other words, we could say it, compassion released his power. Now, was he any less powerful? No, of course not. But any time that the Pharisees and scribes would demand that he would show them his power, he never did. But compassion, and you saw even in this instance as... He saw these people. Let's go back to Mark for a moment. And let's, let's look at that verse one more time. And then we want to come back and kind of build our context for a moment. Verse 34 of Mark chapter 6 uh, unfolds for us this, this miracle that happens. In verse 34 it says, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them. Why? Because they were as a sheep, as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Um, I don't know how many of you have been around sheep to a, to a large degree, but sheep, there you go, a sheep without a leader. Excuse me? That's right. But you know what? You needed to help your sheep, didn't you? They needed to have a shepherd. And she, it's, what's amazing, it's not nice maybe, but it's the way it is, uh, we are likened to sheep, we as humans. And the more you study us, the more we look like sheep, quite honestly. It's amazing how we follow after one another. If somebody wonder why he jumped off that cliff, I'll just do it too because it looks because like, that guy's smart. I followed him for a while, and Jesus said that it's very interesting. All of the things that you think about is a sheep without a shepherd. They really can't provide for themselves. They they're they're just a mass without a shepherd, and that just watching this mass of people just literally stirring and having no leadership, having nowhere to go. Now, by the way. If the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees would have acted as God would have wanted them to do it from the Old Testament scriptures, they were in place. The leadership criteria, I should say, the the structure was there, but there was no leadership. And it just broke Jesus' heart. I wonder what he's thinking today. (laughs) America is sheep without a shepherd. We're a nation without leadership. We're a nation that's gone awry. We've lost our way. What would Jesus do today? He's doing the very same thing. He's reaching out in love and compassion. That's for us as being believers, being trusting in Jesus Christ. This is a perfect example for us to reach out in mercy and grace. Now, you'll see also the other thing is it wasn't the, the, just take the miracle in itself. There's 20, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just say 20 to 25,000 people on that day gathered in. Now, the place is, is said a desert. That is not a good word. In all of the Gospels, I believe all of them, at least three of the four, it talks about the fact that there's green grass there. They were told to be in the green grass. So that desert is more of a sense of isolation or remoteness. They went to a little town called Bethsaida, but never actually went to town. There was this place. In fact, we need to go back and find how we got here. But the disciples had been sent out. Laramie, I might have you throw that um, map of the Sea of Galilee and those little cities that are around that one more time. So let's, let's go back to Mark chapter 6, and let's look at something that happened shortly after the 
disbelief that marveled, that Jesus marveled at. Let's start in verse 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 6. This is Jesus, and it says that he marveled. He was amazed because of their unbelief. Now, in most crowds, they were amazed at Jesus' power. This is one of only two times that Jesus is shown to be amazed or marveled. This one, of unbelief, and the other one was a centurion, that literally, his faith astounded Jesus. A Gentile's faith astounded, but he is amazed at their unbelief. Now, in verse 7, let's, let's pick up the reading there. Mark chapter 6, verse 7. He called unto him the twelve, the twelve disciples. He began to send them forth by two and two, gave them power over unclean spirits, and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. And he said unto them, In what place soever you enter into a house, there abide till you depart from that place. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear you, when you depart thence, shake off the dust under your feet for a testimony against them. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And they went out and preached that men should repent. And they cast out many devils and anointed with oil many that were sick and healed them. Wow, this is, this is essentially a change in the ministry. Up until this point, the crowds followed exclusively Jesus. They followed him. The disciples were there, and obviously uh, they were called disciples. What is a disciple, by the way? A student or a follower, if you will, of Jesus Christ, if we're talking a disciple of Jesus, right? So they were following, they were learning. This is interesting. Right now, the the ministry expands in the sense that he gives them power, and you did see it. He gave them power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Now, that's pretty crazy. Now, guess what? Those crowds are probably following those people. And this would be the other thing that you may or may not know. In In the land of Galilee, which is the main area that Jesus, especially in the outset of his ministry, he was there for about a year and a half. There was He spent a lot of time there. And that region would be like 50 miles by 25 miles. It wasn't a large area, but fairly densely populated. There were about 200 to 205 villages or towns within Galilee. Did you know that 11 of the 12 disciples actually came from, grew up in Galilee? So this was home to them. They were literally going out. That's crazy, right? These guys were fishermen. Probably as many as seven of the 12 were commercial fishermen. And all of a sudden, here come these guys into town, your town. How's it going, Peter? I've seen, how, how, how's your dad? How's he doing? Right? And all of a sudden, by the end of the day, Peter has cast demons out and healed the sick. What is that about? You're going to have to take a position, aren't you? Where did you learn that? Well, literally, it's Jesus Christ, who we've been following for, at this point, probably a year and a half. He gave us the power. He's the Christos. He's the Messiah. Whoa, right? Can you imagine what's taking place? The other thing I want you to be careful to notice is this. They didn't take anything with them. What do you think happened? And it doesn't tell us how long. Was it two weeks? Was it two months? Certainly, it was a period of time that they were exhausted. Let's look how Jesus responds. Let's take that, and we're going to uh, move through another. There's another passage we may come back to. It's in verse 14 uh, through 29, which describes for us, in this region uh, was Herod Antipas. He was the, lead, the governor, if you will, or the, the, the one that was in charge of this area, and he had John the Baptist killed. 
And it was almost like Jesus started to move back or out of this area. But I'm going to leave that just set. Because he thought about Jesus when he'd hurt. And by his fame was everywhere. Uh, Herod thought it was John the Baptist that had been risen from the dead. Whoa. He's more than that. A lot more than that. But let's keep moving. So now these disciples... describes for us. Let's go to verse 30. We've read this today, but now it starts to tie together. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, come you yourselves apart into a desert place, an isolated place, and rest a while. He knew from experience, and I'm telling you, the more you study Jesus, you want to know about someone that was exhausted physically. It would have been my Jesus. His life was so incredibly packed with people and sharing and caring and compassionate. I I have no idea how tired that man was, but he could see it in his disciples. Now, did you catch something? In fact, let's go to Luke. It'll be even more obvious. I want you to see something. Is this turn of events, this change in direction, if you will, of Jesus acting now and giving power to those 12. Let's go to Luke chapter 9 for a moment. I'm going to read two verses, but I want you to see how they're described differently. When he sent them out, when they came back. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Then this would be what we just read in Mark chapter 6, verse 1 of chapter 9 of Luke. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. Whoa. Again, that must have been something. But go to verse 10. This is when they return. And the... Did you see it? The apostles. That's the first time that they are called apostles. They have returned from being sent. They've returned from being given power and authority. When the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done, and he took them and went aside privately into a desert or an isolated place again, belonging to the city called Bethsaida. Now, that's what we want to find out. That's the first time we've seen geography surrounding where this miracle takes place. If you find again on the, on your, uh, on the, the Sea of Galilee, you'll see Bethsaida off to the north and east. Okay? That's the, now, they did not go into Bethsaida. They were in an isolated remote place that was outside of that little town. Now, they would have been probably at Capernaum, and I'm not sure that where that dot is would coincide with some of the other maps I've looked at. It would be back a little bit that way so that you actually could get from Capernaum to Bethsaida two ways. One is that you could go around the land. It would take about eight miles on land. So you could walk eight miles, or you could get in a boat and just cut crisscross, and it would be about four miles in the water. Well, guess what? Which way did Jesus go? In a boat. He used a boat a lot. Why? Because he was, again, I can't tell you how complicated life was. And for him, he took those 12 apostles now. They had returned from being sent. And he's got them in the boat. And I'm sure that he probably, they ate something in the boat. I'm I'm convinced of it. Because you could just feel exhaustion. And he said, let's go to a place, an isolated, remote place, for you to be able to rest. Come aside and rest for a while. However, alas, the crowds figured it out. They ran the eight miles, essentially, and when Jesus and the disciples get off the boat, four miles by sea, they meet at about the same time. Oh, my goodness. Do you remember what we said about our Savior a couple of weeks ago? 
interruptibility. Jesus can be interrupted. God can be interrupted. Jesus did it very well, actually. So now we have uh, them. Let's go back to our text in Mark chapter five, Mark chapter six. I'm sorry. And so he's wanting to go and give them a break. Verse 32, they departed into a desert or an isolated place by ship privately. Just one boat leaving. The people, verse 33, saw them departing and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all of the cities and outwent them and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people. And we've read this and was moved with compassion. It was like he's coming off to get to a place that's isolated. And alas, there's a huge company of people to which he feels an enormous amount of compassion but what does he do with these sheep does he feed them not first what does he do first teaches them truth will trump any other any other physical requirement the disciples and jesus have went away to literally get some rest but guess what when those people are there guess what truth was number one truth was what he exhibited truth is what he gave to those people as they're gathered there When the day was now far spent, verse 35, in other words, I don't know how many hours he was teaching, but when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a remote place, a desert place. Now the time is far past. Now there are, within the the day, uh, there are three watches, but the evening is actually split. There would be the first evening, which would start at 3 p.m. And then the second evening would be after sundown. In fact, when they got back in the boat, after he fed the people, it says, as evening came, that was the second time, it would be after sundown, and guess where they went? They went right back across from Bethsaida, that remote place, across the lake to Capernaum again. It was just like a crisscross, and you see that he's there for specific reasons. Well, at this point now, it's about 3 o'clock. The disciples have been watching their watches very carefully because there's no McDonald's, there's no restaurants, there's no food places. There is nowhere that this mass of people can get something to eat. And they said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, time out. Jesus, just hold up a minute. You better send them home because they are, there's no way we can keep them. There's, there's no food here. What does Jesus respond with that? He says to them, literally, he says, you feed them. They didn't even get it. I mean, now, just a minute now. Understand, this is why I built the context. The fact of the matter, they had been given power and authority over demons, over disease. He had literally given them power that he had exhibited solely and by himself. And now he said, you feed them. They missed it completely. They didn't even, it didn't even catch. There wasn't even like, what do you guys think? Do you think we can do this? No, there was none of that. They just, what? In fact, now we've got the disciples' own characteristics. One of them says, this is Philip, he's the bean counter. He's the accountant of the group. He goes and says, well, we actually have 200 denarii, which would be 200 days' wages for one man. What do you think? And it was, there was sarcasm linked in here. He said, what do you want me to do with that? Just, we, just, just use it? Where, and where are we going to get it? Jesus. And then the other guy, Andrew, he went and fleeced the crowd, so to speak, because Jesus said, what's out there? Who, who has what? And Andrew, he goes, I don't know how he did. How, you know, I would take some time. How would you? He comes back and he says, yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got a whopping, a whopping five loaves and two fishes. Now, as someone said, when they first read that as a child, they were wondering what mother would pack five loaves of bread and two fish. That's enough for a lot more than a kid, right? But that loaf would be corresponding to what would be known as a biscuit. Just a very tiny biscuit. Five biscuits. 
and two, again, probably very small pickled dried fish, one of the other. You know, a nice lunch for a child, quite honestly. <laughs> but he says, yeah, we got, we got five biscuits and, and two fish, uh, but what is this for 25,000 people? How does it look for the home team? <laughs> like we said, Jesus, would you hurry up and send them away? <laughs> Jesus' next words were really remarkable. He says, uh, why don't you get them set in groups of 50? Just get them orderly now. Because, again, think of this crowd. I mean, they're pressing and they're... He says, get, get, them, in, get them in groups of 50. Now, some commentators have felt that literally it says 150s, that literally there was probably 100 groups of 50 men with their families, which would be 5,000 men. And their fa- this, you understand what I'm saying? And it would be very orderly. It would be like aisles, which would be very important. How would you feed 25,000 people in a mob? You can't do it. Now, I'm, I'm sure the disciples are saying, what are we doing now? Why would we want to get order in this chaos? What are we going to do? But they did it. How are you doing so far? What if you're one of the 25,000? I wonder what we're going to do next, right? Now, they'd watched him. In fact, I want you to, I want you to look at this. This is what we find in John chapter 6. There's a reason that these people are following Jesus. It's not the reason that we would have hoped. It's not the reason that Jesus would have hoped. But it's true. John chapter 6. And let's look at, we'll start in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Now, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. It can be called either one. And a great multitude followed him. Watch. Why? Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. Wasn't for his teaching. Wasn't for the fact that he was declared by some to be the Messiah, the Christos, the anointed one, the God-given, the thing, you know, the Redeemer. No, no, they came because it was a show, it was a magic show. They saw people healed. Let's watch that. Let's go for that. Back to Mark. Let's read this again, verse 37, 38, 39. He answered, verse 37, Mark chapter 6. He answered and said unto them, Give you them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy 200 penny worth or denarii of bread and give them to eat? And in other words, it's not nearly enough. And where would we get it anyway? He saith unto them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. Again, mark that. This, that's not a desert. It's an isolated, remote place with green grass, probably in the spring. In fact, if you follow one of the other accounts, it's during the Passover. So it's probably about A.D. 29 in the spring. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties, verse 40. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, you can almost feel the... Can, can you feel the air now? What is he going to do? What is he up to? Not just the disciples, but the whole group of people. He looked up to heaven, and he blessed, or he thanked God for it, and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fishes divided he among them all. This now is the creator feeding 25,000 people. He starts with five biscuits two fish, he looks to heaven, and he thanks, gives an offer of thanksgiving for what we have. 
And then, as these disciples, now think, how long would it take to feed 25,000 people? I'd say a while. And you know, every one of those morsels of food came from the master's hands. There were biscuits that never were a plant, and there were fish that never swam. It was created out of nothing. Think of that for a moment. This is a miracle that blows—it just blows your mind. And all he did was just kept breaking them off. The disciples would come. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're lining up 12 deep, I'm assuming, because it's the apostles that let them out, because it'll actually lend credence to that at the end of this, of this uh, narrative. How long is this going to go on? Are we just going to give everybody a little speck or what? And first guy goes off. Second guy goes off. Third guy goes off. And all 12 are gone. And pretty soon they come back because there's obviously more people to feed. And it says that all of them were, the word is used, satisfied. Do you know what that word really is in the Greek? Now, those of you that are stockmen or, or women, um, there's the sense of foddering an animal. And that is to give them as much as they can eat. Now, I've noticed a cow does not come to the bunk and say, well, I've had enough. Why don't you guys step forward and go ahead and I'll, I'll get back later. It doesn't work that way. She will stay there and eat until there's nothing more she can hold. Correct? That is the same term that's literally used, that these people ate to their fullest desire. <laughs> and I'm going to say this. You ain't never had fish and chips like Jesus is. <laughs> I'm sure there's some of the husbands. Honey, you have never made anything like this. But think of where it's coming from. It's not anything of the cursed planet. It would have come strictly created from this, the creator, ex nihilo, out of nothing, pure, holy, completely, unbelievably, the meal of all time. <laughs> and he just kept passing it out. He broke out of his hands on that afternoon which again, it's got to be somewhere between 3 p.m. and sundown. Somewhere in there was that, was that feast, shall we say. And everything came from his two hands. He just kept breaking it. It reminds me of Elijah. Remember the widow in Nain? Every morning she went back, that cruise of, of oil and that. Every morning there was stuff there. Remember the first time she went? Elijah said, would you, you know, sir, sir, listen, listen carefully. We don't have any food here. We are going to make the last meal, my son and I, and then we're going to die. And he said, well, before you do that, why don't you make me a meal first? <laughs> Who are you, buddy? Right? And that little touch of faith, that little grain of faith, whatever you want to call it, they never ran out. That's what this reminds me of. It's, it's again, out of nothing. There's a there's a text I, I didn't I should have went back and, and let's take a let's take a chance um, let's go to Second Kings for a moment Second Kings chapter four I should have probably checked it out to make sure but if nothing else you guys will find Second Kings chapter four let's see what it says verse forty three is where I was going to kick in Second Kings chapter four get there and verse forty three. Uh, we have to go back a little bit. 
Verse 42, uh, chapter 4, 2 Kings. There came a man from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and full ears of corn in the husk thereof. And he said, give unto the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, What? Shall I set this before a hundred men? And he said again, Give the people that they may eat. For thus saith the Lord, They shall eat and shall leave thereof. And again, we, have, we had a massive amount of people. It was almost the same thing. So think of this for a moment. Those that would have been trained in the Scriptures would have known this wasn't the first time of where this would have been. But who was behind it? God. God was behind it. 25,000 people have eaten to their heart's content. Back to Mark. Mark chapter 6. The other thing we find is that his power is always surrounded with precision. What do I mean by that? Well, let's check out how this worked again. Uh, we've got, and again, was there 23,943? Was there 20,914? Whatever it was. But... Whatever it was is the requirements. Now, again, I don't know if a, if, a small, if a child would have five little biscuits and two fish, what does a man eat? Is that ten biscuits and three fish? I don't know. And again, to their hearts again, it isn't just, it's not so everybody got a speck or a crumb. They ate to their full heart's content. So how much does that take? A lot. An awful lot. But you know what? How many baskets of fragments? In other words, they gathered what the people didn't eat. Twelve baskets. Now, that word for basket would be like if you were traveling and going somewhere where you weren't sure, which apparently not very many people knew that they were not going to have somewhere to eat because they followed Jesus. And guess what? He shows up not in town. He shows up in this remote, isolated place. It seems like there was probably only one that came prepared. (laughs) But if you had been prepared, you would have this little basket, this little uh, knapsack, if you will, of which you would carry food with you. And perfectly, and I do say that word perfectly, there are 12 of those left. How many disciples were there? Who hadn't eaten when all of the rest of the people had eaten? They, because they were serving. The only one that I can't find that ate anything was Jesus. I can't find where he ate. Everyone else was completely content. And satisfied. Do you see the precision in his power? And you're wondering today, I've got a problem. They're, they're, I, I can't, there's no way. You show me 25,000 people with nothing to eat, and Jesus precisely feeds them completely everything they need. And we pray, what's our, what, what was our previous study? Give us this day our daily bread. Isn't that fit perfectly? His precision and power. Not over the top. Just what was needed, precisely what was needed. And you'll find in your life as you go back, there's some things that have happened in your life, and precisely God came at the right time with the right amount for the right length of time. It wouldn't have been the way you did it, but God got you through it. There was challenges. There were trials. All designed to make you better. All designed to give God glory. Who got the glory in this? I don't know how you could be there. In fact, look how the people responded. It seems like they got it. This should be like the biggest revival of all time. Um, Let's go to, let's see, where am I at? Maybe we'll go to 
Let me try the Luke event. I, sh- I didn't write down which one had this. But let's go to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. That is not it. Let's go to John then. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. The initial response would seem... Let's, get, let's read in uh, verse 12. Let's start in John chapter 6, verse 12. When they were filled, again, that word is completely contented. He said unto his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. This isn't about littering. This is about fulfilling what they needed. Therefore, they gathered them together, filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which remained over and above, and, and above unto them that had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said... This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain, himself alone. Ah, again, the response is very predictable. Here we have Jesus who can give us everything we want. We're going to use him to the nth degree. We're going to use him to be the king. We're going to get rid of this Herod Antipas, the one that killed John the Baptist, and then we'll go and we'll take over Jerusalem. And then we'll get rid of the Romans. And then you can just see their minds going, right? They were literally going to take him by force. This is finally the one. But what was it that, was, what was it that made them want that? Stuff. Materialism. Sounds just like the name it and claim it. Right? The guys that are on TV. All of those guys that, God wants you rich. I don't know if he does or doesn't. I know God wants you. That's what he wants. He doesn't want to be used. He wants to be trusted. Jesus Christ, again, we'll get into this in a moment in the latter part of John, as as they met him on a cross on the other side of the sea. He's just fed 25,000 people. Now, that'll get your attention. How do you respond? Now, he was using it literally as an analogy or as a picture or as an example to say, that's physically I fed you, but that's not why I'm here. This is when he said, I am the bread of life. Not the bread physically. I'm the bread that you need for spiritual life. And they missed it completely. Completely missed it. They wanted wanted bread three times a day, fish and chips, whatever you want to call it. They were good with that. They didn't have a problem with the same meal. You could just, just hang out with Jesus. We want it easy. We want an easy life. You talk about entitlements today? There it was that day. Total entitlement. They show up, feed us, feed us. That sounds familiar. Clothe us. Give us houses. No, we don't want a job. We want a paycheck. Isn't that exactly the same thing? What are we doing with Jesus? We're using him. Now, in this case, our our country has gone so far as to where we've traded Jesus for government. The government. Great. Fantastic. We've lost our way completely. But these people saw it really no differently. Did you see what they were going to do with Jesus? They were going to make Jesus the government. Now, he's coming back the second time, and he will be the government. But the first time, he wanted not to be the king of the country. He wanted to be the king of your soul. That's the difference. That's where it needs to start. That's what's wrong with every nation that is not following after God. How could you possibly get it right? Just look at the sense of famine and starvation today. God blessed this planet with a way to be replenished and to have food. Amazingly amount, amazing amounts. I mean, think about it. Even your body. If you cut it, somebody said to a surgeon, how can you, how can you have such a precise sense of, of, of the way you're using the, the sutures 
or, you know, the heat. He said, it's not me. It's the way the body responds. Why does the body even try to heal itself? That's a creative thing. God has done so much miraculous things. In these countries that are starving today, you know, it's not a God problem. It's not a planet problem. It's a people problem. It's either through the sense of socialism or communism destroyed the whole network. There's nowhere that anyone can even compete in the sense of bringing foods together that the planet is capable of producing. It's not God problem. Isn't it amazing? It's amazing what God has really given us. Amazing. But on this day, these people are so much like us. They're just like all of you know. It's amazing. You go through the Israelites wandering around the wilderness for forty years, right? How could they get it wrong all of the time? Ha-ha, we're the same, right? You've got to go through struggles so that you return back to Christ, and then you drift off. Things are too easy for too long, and right? It just goes on and on and on. A vicious circle. A vicious circle. It's like we never learn. Right? When will we learn? Someday. Someday. Well, this people were gathered. They were satisfied. And then Jesus took off again. Let's, keep, let's go back to, let's, let's read it in John's account. And let's see if we can find, verse 16, we'll start in there where we left off. John six sixteen, And when even was now come, that would be like sundown. His disciples went down onto the sea. And entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum. Again, you'll see they were towards the side of Bethsaida. And Capernaum, again, I would say is just tucked a little bit off to the west of the Sea of Galilee. But again, they would have went in the ship and cut across to get back to Capernaum. And the sea, oh, this is a whole, we've got another miracle within a miracle, which I can't talk about today. What do you think the disciples are thinking right now? Did you see that? How did he do that? Remember last time that they saw something where the, the, the creator, I'm speaking of the creator, that actually spoke to the wind and the waves. Not only did the wind have to stop, the waves and the inertia that would have been captured from the wind stopped as well. It was like glass. And it said that they were more terrified, more scared than they'd been when they were about to lose their life from the storm because God was in the boat. Sometimes God is so overwhelming in the sense of who he is. Jesus Christ must have totally overwhelmed them. Well, after this day, he says, get in the boat. Let's go back over to Capernaum. And guess who didn't go with? We were told there in Mark, actually, that when they wanted to take him by force, he retreated and went into the mountain to pray. Get his focus right. The disciples take off by themselves. I can only... I can only Keep the context rolling, but I don't want to talk about this today. But literally, in the middle of the night, here comes this one walking on the water. Now, I don't know if you've seen people walk on the water at night. Or any time. I don't think they'd ever seen it either. And they were scared out of their wits. And Jesus said, be of good cheer. It is only I. (laughs) What a day, right? Amazing. Amazing day. But they get to the other side. We'll save this for another moment. Verse 21, then they willingly received him into the ship. This is verse 21, John chapter 6. And immediately the ship was at the land whither they went. 
They're now close to Capernaum. Now watch verse 22. This is where we're going to start. How, how did the people really respond to this? They left them there the day following when the people which stood on the other side of the sea, they were over at Bethsaida in that area, saw that there was none other boat there save that one whereinto his disciples were entered, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum seeking for Jesus. When they had found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? When did you get here? Now watch what Jesus responds. He answered them and said, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, this is important, guys. This is absolutely the truth I say unto you. You seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. That's why you're here. You want breakfast. (laughs) That's why you're here today. You want to have another repeat of being fed physically. And he goes on to say, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? What do we want to do? What should we do? Now watch how Jesus answers this. This is, what, this is the crux of the ministry. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God. Listen carefully. This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. In other words, you need to believe right now in me. That's what you need to do. That's the work of God, for you to believe what you have just seen. This miracle was to prove, literally, that I am who I said I am. They said, therefore, unto him, verse 30, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? What would you want to see next? The afternoon before, you had watched Jesus from his hands break biscuits and fish so that 25,000 people were fed. And you want another sign? Maybe some of the people were so far out they didn't know. Like, they didn't know how much he had to start with. I'm just trying to, you know. But maybe they were just stupid like us. Like, <laughs> Stupid like us. You nailed that one pretty well, actually. I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with two, two, the stupid like us. But the one thing it is, I think, is really interesting is they would have. There's some things that stand out here very clearly. Okay, number one, there is not a Costco in this remote place. Okay, there's not a place that you can get anything. That was what concerned the fact the disciples, they're they're really bent. They said, Jesus, this is 3 o'clock. It's going to take time for these people to get out of here. You need to, in their best interest, move them along. Everyone else in that crowd knew that. Okay. In fact, I'm not sure they even knew that Jesus had five biscuits and two fish. All they know is that here comes the disciples with some type of a basket, some type of a platter, whatever they were using. I don't know where they got that even. And they're distributing food. And I'm going to say it probably took two to three hours. Jesus keeps breaking it off, and they keep going back and keep getting it. And I'm, <laughs> must it, so they had to get it, right? They had to see that this is not normal. This is so over the top. This couldn't be real, except it's a miracle. 
And Jesus is doing it. And they know where they're going. They're, they're going to him. He's the source. And that's literally what Jesus has asked all the time. I am the source not only for physical life. I'm, I'm proving this in physical miracles. I'm healing the sick. But by the way, you know what? You didn't have to be. This is the sense of common grace. God is so good to so many people that literally have no faith in him whatsoever. That sense of common grace. You didn't have to fill in a box and say, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ so that you could get fed. You were just there. How many people does God really allow the opportunity to, to be healed that have no interest in him whatsoever? That's common grace. Common grace. And a lot of times, as those people would turn around and see that, it just makes God greater, more awesome, more of God. In the, and do you sense the compassion in all of this? It, that, that has truly, in our study on this, you know, I, I started by saying the power of Christ. His compassion is what released it. A professor that stands up in the front of the room and says, if God should strike me or he, he should do something and I'd know he's God. He doesn't get into that stuff. God's not going to be. He's not going to be. No way. That doesn't work that way. But show Jesus a group of people that, is a, that they're a sheep like without a shepherd. They'll bring everything that he has. It'll put him on the cross. That's what God saw before he made us. He knew that sin would, would enter. He knew that we would be slaves to sin. And before he made us, because he knows everything from the front to the back and beyond, because he's eternal, he chose at that point, literally now, that you talk about action being driven by compassion and power. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was destined to die on a cross because we needed him and him alone. Whoa! And he rose from the dead, which makes it worth it. Wow. Let's keep going in John. He starts to tie it together. Verse 30, they said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe you? What dost thou work? Again, are you kidding me? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And what does that mean? What, what's the implication here? Just give us more bread. We'll, we'll believe you then. I don't think so. Let's do it all over again. Let's have breakfast. And then we'll come back for lunch. And then we'll come. Do you see last week we get into that? How do you use God? That's how people use God. Not trust him. Use him. He's just there to be used. Then Jesus said unto them, verse 32, Verily, verily, another one of those, Truly, truly, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Now that word life is not physical life. It is spiritual life. Literally, God gave me. That's what he's saying. He's pointing his finger literally at himself. He says, God sent me from heaven to be here so that you would have spiritual life. He's getting to the heart. He's not interested in being the king of a nation. He's wanting to be the king of their life, the king of their heart. Then said they unto him, Lord, forever, forevermore give us this bread. They missed that one too. See, they're thinking physically. Jesus said unto them, now watch, this, is, this, is, this statement right here is starting to separate. I am the bread of life. Now, when you say I am, who are you referring to? God. I am who I am. I am the bread of life. 
He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Come and believe. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now that is powerful truth. How do they respond? Remember, what, we t- what did we talk about last week? The power of unbelief. Watch this. They've been confronted with truth. Verse 41. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he said, I came down from heaven? And I don't remember the verse. I think we might have looked at it. What, does anyone remember? where it said, woe unto Chorazim, woe unto, I think it was Capernaum. It also says, woe unto Bethsaida. Because if I would have done these same miracles in Tyre and Sidon, which would, they, were, they were pronounced to be extinguished, which they are, they're an island, they're not there today. Or Sodom and Gomorrah, we looked at that one last week. I can't remember where that text was at, it, maybe it'll come to me. But the point of the matter is, think of that. That whole Bethsaida area was declared to have woe upon it. Why? Because they had just missed the greatest miracle that Jesus had performed up to this time. The capstone, if you will, of miracles. And they still refused to believe him. I'm wondering what's going to happen to America. How much more does God have to show us? How long till we get it right? I don't know. He will give us over. Romans chapter 1. It's the way it works. When the more truth that we have, the more responsible. That's not new. That's the way it is. America's been blessed with truth. Currently, there's a famine in the land. There are, there are literally hundreds of people that really couldn't tell you anything about the Bible. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Except you don't want to read it. It's just fairy tales. It's myths. That is extremely sad for a nation that was founded by men and women that were willing to give their lives to worship God freely. Is that not saying something? And today we're so far away we can't even recognize it. We are sheep without a shepherd. The really cool thing is it's the same way God is still reaching out in love and in mercy, asking all that would come to him. Jesus died for them all. It's free. Cost him everything. Think of grace. Think of how he's responded to a world that's gone upside down. We don't even, you can't even find truth hardly anymore. And God packaged truth in Jesus Christ. How much clearer could truth be to be in Jesus Christ? He's just fed 25,000 people and they can't get it. (laughs) Right? Isn't that Joseph's kid? We know Joseph and Mary. What, what's the No, no. You, didn't you watch yesterday? Didn't you see what he did? He started with nothing. We're in the desert. We're in a, we're, yeah, it's green grass. It's not a desert, but it's isolated. It's remote. There's nothing here. There's nothing here. And he just kept breaking off. Everybody's fed. There's 12 extra baskets. The disciples, they even got to eat. 
What do you mean he's Joseph's son? <laughs> right? Exactly. That's the proof is right. That's what the miracle was for. To prove the fact that if he can do that, he would be the one to trust for your spiritual problems. What did the disciples go out? He gave them power and authority over demons, over disease. What? What did they preach? Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. What was John the Baptist's message? Repent. Same deal, right? Isn't it amazing how we can obscure or make truth irrelevant just in the name of something else? Take the light off of the truth. Happens every day. Wow. Hard to believe, but there was absolutely no spiritual awakening. In fact, let's keep going. Where did we leave you? Verse 42 Verse 43, we'll start there. Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me. Draw him, and I will raise him up the last day. It is written in the prophets, They shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. I have. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I don't know how you could make it any more clear than that. You need to believe in me, and, I, and you should believe on me because of what I've been doing. I've, I've, I've shown power over creation. I've shown power over disease. I've shown power over absolutely everything that you can't solve, over everything that you can't fix. I have just shown you that. Now believe on me. I am that bread of life, verse 48. Let's cut to the chase. Verse 59, it again describes for us where he's saying this. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. I'm wondering, you remember when we met someone from the synagogue in Capernaum? Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue in Capernaum. I wonder what he was doing that day. I'm sure listening with rapt attention. His daughter, who was dead, Jesus literally revived Do you think he's a believer? I think he'd believe before he even got to that level because he found Jesus on the pathway and fell down before him humbly. He said, if you could just come. He was interrupted. Jesus was interrupted by this man that came. And I'm I'm going to say something else. He would have looked like a complete fool to all of his protégés, all of his accomplices, all of that religious community that he was tied in so directly. No, he wasn't a Pharisee. No, he wasn't a scribe. But he was a ruler of a synagogue that was tied to the whole hierarchy. And he literally put his life, his daughter's life, in the hands of Jesus Christ on that day. And then, lo and behold, Jesus was interrupted again by a woman that had an issue for 12 years. And his 12-year-old daughter had just, he just received word she died. And what did Jesus do? He turned around and said, just keep believing. You're okay. And they're walking. What do you think? What do you, if you were Jairus, she's dead if we would only move quicker. If you hadn't went across and, and got that guy with all those demons, that legion guy, right? if you wouldn't have went over there, we would have been in time to see my daughter. Sounds like Martha, right? Oh, if you'd only been here a couple days ago, Jesus, Lazarus would be living today. And Jesus said to the disciples before he left, he said, we need to stay here for a few days so that God gets the glory. <laughs> sure enough, how much harder is it to raise one that's sick versus one that's Dead. They went into that room, and I just can't imagine that Jairus and his wife, what must have happened in their life to watch this, their little one. They're already having a funeral procession. 
They had the hired grieve, grievers. I don't even know if that's the right word, but they were professionals. They would yell and go off and shout and sound as miserable as possible. I mean, they were paid to do this job, right? And so Jesus says, no, 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 she's not dead. And they laughed him to scorn is what the scripture says. He goes into the room and he says, arise. And he takes her by the hand. He says, why don't you give her something to eat? She's probably hungry. <laughs> well, yes, of course, right? I bet he was there at the synagogue on that day listening to Jesus. This wasn't long after. You see, it's when you've made that commitment to believe in Jesus, every step of your journey then makes you a stronger believer. That's what those trials do. They're intended to make you just a little bit stronger in your faith. That's how he does it. Because if your faith isn't stretched, it doesn't grow. But the initial part is come, see, believe. No shortcuts. And the longer that you stay in the seek or see, the less likely you are to believe. What a warning it is for those that literally have been given the gospel of Jesus Christ. Those that know the story of Christ. That he came to an earth that was condemned to sin. He lived and walked for three years and ultimately gave himself on the cross of Jesus. That the cross, he gave his life, died, rose again to save you. That's a huge warning to someone that's heard that message and has rejected it. That is no different than what these people have seen a miracle. That miracle, we, we are on this side of history. They hadn't even seen Jesus Christ on a cross being dead, crucified, and buried, and to see him alive and to be resurrected. They'd been fed. Just think of us. Aren't you glad somebody shared gospel with you? It's amazing, isn't it? His story. Let's keep going. You, you can't wait to find out how, what, what, what is really going to happen here. Verse 60, chapter 6, John. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? In other words, uh, that's too much. We've went too far. He's talking about actually drinking his blood and eating his flesh. And Now, for a Jew, that would be wild, wouldn't it? But if you think about, let's turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Now, this wouldn't have meant as much to them as it does to us. But Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians 2. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Paul saying, I. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Even though I was crucified with Christ, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what Jesus is saying. That literally, my life, Jesus' life is integrated into your own. Now watch back to John chapter 6, verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, his followers, if you will, now it wouldn't be the apostles, it would be just those that were following that said they trusted Jesus, said they did. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, does this offend you? What if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? In other words, uh, just so you know, I wasn't just born 30 years ago, or 32 years ago in this case. No, I'm going to go back where I was. <laughs> That'll sort it out, won't it? In other words, I'm God. I've always been I, from the beginning to the end. 
It is the spirit that quickeneth. This flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Watch verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. What more would you have to see? What more would Jesus have to reveal? What more power would they need to see? He had given them enough. He had given more than enough. That's a warning shot for us that know the gospel. Someone that's been told the gospel of Jesus Christ. When he's been declared the bread of life. And when he's rejected, that's pretty scary. In fact, verse 69, I'm sorry, Jesus then says unto the twelve, you, this, saying that these disciples that were just following from a distance, if you will, walk no more. Verse 67, then said Jesus unto the twelve, will you also go away? <laughs> Did you notice the crowd is going shrinking, dissipating? There's not very many left. We went from 25,000 down to about 12. And so he's just as a matter of, guys, are you going to leave too? Peter says this, verse 68. Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You, thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christos, the son of the living God. Jesus answered them, have I not chosen you twelve and one of you is a devil? He spake of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him being one of the twelve. What a day. The capstone of Jesus' miracles has just happened in a little place called Bethsaida. And there's no revival. He's fed 25,000. What would happen if... What's the population in Beaverhead County and Madison County combined? I don't have any idea. Does anyone know? 15,000, 16,000. In, in, in both counties? Yeah. Okay, we've got to go bigger then, don't we? <laughs> I think there's 7,000 in Madison County. Okay. Beaverhead County probably... About the same. So let's take twice. Let's take twice the amount of people all combined in one place in Madison, Beaverhead County. How you doing? That's a fair amount of people. And Jesus feeds us all. Twice, two times. Oh, what I'm saying is there's twice that many people. So we had to go get. A, we went to Butte and hired, but invited a bunch of people to come down. So we got twenty-five thousand people in this group. Where would we meet, by the way? Fairground somewhere? Could we get them in there? Probably not. See what, we're, see, what, see what we're doing here? And you got and there's no question where he's at. There's nothing. There's no resources. That's why he's there. And all of a sudden, at the end of three hours, we're laying on. Did you see that? They're, they're reclining on the grass, the green grass. It's like this beautiful spring day, late afternoon. And it's like, honey, that was awesome. You have never cooked like that. And she said, it was really something. And by the next day, by the way, that group would want to do what? I don't know much about him. I think we should follow him. We should just keep 
kind of following him because that looks like a meal ticket to me. Because nobody got charged. Nobody had to sign anything. Nobody had to be, right? You get it? And literally, are you, this, this is literally the next day. And they're all gone back to where they came from. That's scary. That's scary. And you know what? It happens every single day. You say, well, if Jesus was here and we create... No, it doesn't matter. Remember what that rich man said? He and Lazarus, they died and went. One to paradise and one to... Sheol or Hades. And the guy, the rich man said, you know, if you, if you, if you could just... You know, if I... If, if my brothers, if we could just just tell them what this is like. You remember the answer? No, it won't matter. It's very true, isn't it? How much more would Jesus have had to done? What, what, what have we had to do? And then we think of ourselves just forward, looking for us to look backwards. What do you argue about with Jesus Christ raising from the dead? Where's he at? Where's his tomb? Where's his body? It's not there. And 500 at one time saw him alive. Think of this, 25,000 people. If you were one of those 25,000... And somebody, yeah, Jesus, he's a fraud. He's a complete fraud. Complete magic show. There's nothing to it. You could say, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know a lot, but I know this much. We were out in an isolated, remote place. There was no food there. And I ate to my heart's content. And he had nothing but what he, I don't know how he did it. I don't have any idea. But he is different. There is not hardly anybody left the next day. Do you see what the power... I'm going to go back to last week. Do you see what the power of unbelief is? It has a chokehold on so many people today that just cannot respond to truth. And now it's gotten worse because the average person has no idea what the truth is. I'm going to say this for probably the zillionth time, but it's scary. Our youngest generation, is it the Z generation? What is the generation? The late, the lost. lost, yes, that's good. What, what is the, no, what's the, what's the generation? They called the, no, it's the next one. Gen X, is it X? There's Z, isn't it? I think it's Z. It, I think it's Z, Gen Z, okay? This is the youngest group of people that have been identified as a group of future leaders. I should have done more work, but the point of the matter is, is where I always get to, is that group, which is probably about 10 years from one end to the other, a worldwide survey, they said this, they don't believe that they can know truth. That's a long ways. We have really, really lost our way. But the number one problem for that group that they see for the future is climate change. Now, that's confusion. Massive confusion. Because why? Because they don't know the truth. They don't even think they can find the truth. So my question is, truth matches reality. It does. That's what truth is. It doesn't, it's not different from reality. It's what it is. Then what... If, what, what, what do you mean you don't know the truth? You, how do you live? 
They live what they believe, and they believe by what they hear the loudest and the longest. Whoever says it the loudest and the longest is what they ultimately believe, truth or unbelief. If you don't believe you can know the truth, why would you search for it? My, my point in all of this is that is lost beyond belief. We have a famine in the land. Let's go to, I, we used this in True Seekers the other night. Um, one of the, we looked it up, and I, this, is, this is where we are at as a, let's go to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And we could say many other things, but it's interesting that this is so true. Isaiah chapter 5, and remember, Isaiah wrote about a people that had lost their way. They were going into judgment. And verse 20 of Isaiah chapter 5 says this, Woe, speaking of woes, woe unto them that call evil good. Have you heard that recently? And good evil. That put darkness for light and light for darkness. That put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. That declares a lot of things, doesn't it? God help us. God help us. But may we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, reach out with the same compassion that our Savior did. He knew what was going to happen tomorrow, being today, as he fed those 25. What's the point? Why am I doing this? They're going to miss it. But there was somebody. There was somebody. You see, Jesus Christ died for everyone. But those somebodies that reach out, that the Holy Spirit speaks to their heart, and they respond by coming, seeing, and believing Jesus. May we do the same. May we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially in these dark times. Jesus has never looked brighter than right now. He truly is still the Savior of the world. There is no Savior of this world. He's the only one. His mercy and His grace that He shared, Jesus Christ, with those people, is even more miraculous to me when I see what happened the day after, when they all turned their backs on Him. It didn't matter. He still did what was right, what was just, what was loving, and what was, quote, the Father's will. May we do the same. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which proved once and for all that death had been conquered, that Satan had been destroyed, the tools that Satan had been using to thwart all of your purposes. Now, we're extinguished. Father, it's no different today. Satan is still rapidly, consciously, through the world system, through societal challenges, all of the things that surround that whole epitome of the world system, Father, to seek and destroy. Father, Jesus Christ's life, his burial, his resurrection, all are still pertinent truth today. They are things that change people's lives. Father, we'll need your strength, we'll need your guidance, we'll need your everything, Father, from you to act and be more like Jesus. As we've continued, as we've looked in the last number of weeks, how Jesus has responded, the power that was unleashed through his compassion. 
Father, may the love that's instilled within us, we think of Ephesians, that we could know, Paul's prayer, that we could know how high, how deep, how wide your love is, that full dimension picture of how much we are loved, then may that be portrayed in how we deal with others. Jesus Christ is still holding his arms open to all of those that would come to him and believe in him. It's no different. 2,000 years have passed, but it's still no different. The decision will need to be made. We are responsible for what we know. Jesus came not to condemn the world because it was already condemned, but he could, that he could save it, save those that were in it. Those that believe on him would have everlasting life. That's power. That's power that I can't even describe. It's tragic to think of those that are bound in unbelief. Those that continue day after day after day after day to refuse truth. It's a scary thing. Father, may you break through to all of those, Father. Giving them that opportunity, which you always have, your long-suffering, you would have that no one would perish, but all would come to everlasting life. Again, proving your love. Father, I pray for our nation. It's a mess. It needs Jesus like never before. Thank you, Father, for being available, just as Noah, for a hundred and some years, predicted that the end was coming. Your grace, graciousness, your long-suffering that went on and on and on, and finally... There was an end. And there will be an end in the book of Revelation. You will give them over to a delusion when you believe the lie long enough. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. God help us. Go with this group today, Father, as we go through journey step by step. Guide us, direct us, encourage us, strengthen us. Give us everything we need as those disciples for not to take anything with them. Trusting in you was obviously, again, uh, an example of the disciples' prayer that you taught them. Give us this day our daily bread. All of the things that go with that, Father. And guess what? That's exactly what happened for them as well. They came back refreshed. They went from disciples to apostles. Thank you for all you're doing for us. Our thankfulness, Father, is not adequate for all of the things that we've contemplated. But we thank you from the depths of our heart as much as we're able. Relationally, bring us closer and closer to yourself. Make us more and more like Jesus. These things we ask in his precious and holy and righteous name. Amen.